Hey folks, you're listening to the No Sharding Podcast, and today I have Zaki with me, who is uh, typically known as the guy from Cosmos. So, welcome. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, you were like, I think, one of the first people that I talked to in the space that kind of has a reputation and took me uh, seriously. <laughs> uh, so, I, like, I'll always remember that moment because uh, it was a pivotal moment for Solana, right? I, like, talked to you and you're like, okay, this doesn't suck. And you're using uh, what this thing called a VDF. Go look it up. Which is <laughs> 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 <Just> pretty funny. <laughs> so you have you are my proof that I actually came up with a VDF uh, on before my own. you before you knew what it was before I knew what it was all on my own. And it's like a very the dumbest VDF you can build, but. Actually, I talked to, you know, Dan Bonet and like the smart folks in the space. And what they tell me is that our approach is not the worst way to do it. It's not. Yeah. So it's like actually works and it's secure. It's just a little takes a bit more uh, compute. So we've been going. So like this VDF thing. So VDF verifiable delay function um, is like. People have been super excited about these since like 2016. Um, people have been trying to figure out like for the for a long time there was this like big quest like how can you even make one? Um, and uh, people had proposed um, the sort of thing that like you decided to actually go out and build an entire protocol around. Um, but like people were wanted you know especially cryptographers wanted sort of something that was like asymptotically better and the math was more clever. Yep. So. Uh, like I remember, see, like financial crypto twenty seventeen, like a whole bunch of presentations on unverifiable delay functions. Uh, I remember meeting you, um, and then we had this like so we've had like these like VDF days now. Yeah, um, and you know, uh, it's sort of been this crazy adventure, but it's 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 pretty. Uh, so we just had VDF day at Stanford. And um, which is like kind of a it's like the third VDF day I think that we've had. There was one at there was a, one at Stanford last year, and there was one at MIT, and this is the third one. Um, I've actually been a little bit surprised how quickly how, or how slowly um, a lot of the VDF ideas have actually sort of um, taken to mature. Um, you know, a bunch of really clever math was um, sort of sort of suddenly came out for doing VDFs in 2018. And it seemed like it was like simple math. It was based off of um, uh, you know RSA, and we were like, okay, like we understand how to do these things. Um, we should be able to get like a production system. And yeah, I think we'll probably have production systems based on like class groups and RSA groups. Um, but basically, like the the simpler stuff, like what you're doing, and sort of like the known quantity that is Starks, seems like it's for at least some use cases. Seems like it made like way more progress. Um, and that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm like excited to see more. I'm excited to see like VDFs in the world. Yeah, likewise. I like I found it like really fascinating because there's this uh, kind of thing in computer science or mathematics and physics is that there's always for any kind of like mathematical function there's this physical implementation of it which is the smallest possible way you could do it. So if you think about it, like I have like. A multiplier and I arrange like a bunch of protons and it like does the multiplication for me right like but we don't have an equivalent of this in math right for sorry for in time right mm -hmm. there is no like representation of time um, that you can like say this this is a, a physical implementation of like a mathematical time right like yeah. a clock um, but this this idea of a VDF, right? It's kind of like that, yeah. right? <laughs> so in, in like a, a really weird way, if you, if there's such a thing as a one-way function, like a function that you cannot reverse, we can construct like you math. can construct time from it, right? Yeah, isn't that bizarre? It is bizarre. <laughs> so that to me, like the fact that we came up with this means we we don't we don't live in a simulation, but. If we live in a simulation, it's a, it's at least inside something that is beyond our, my comprehension. Okay. So. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think VDFs are one of the most exciting cryptographic primitives. Um, I'm excited to see more come out of them. Um, I'm excited to see 
more advanced ones than what you guys are, what Solana is doing, sort of getting into production. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm we'll, surprised uh, most folks are kind of still thinking about them as like random number generators and not really using them as a clock the way the way that we're doing. So as far as I know, I don't know. You probably you've seen everything, right? Yeah. Is, there, is anyone else like? Thought, why don't we use this as a clock in a distributed system and make well, it easier? Well, there's there's uh, Chia. Okay. Chia uses it as as fundamentally that as right, a clock. Correct. Because um, uh, proofs of space do not produce a consensus system yeah. unless you have a clock. Yep. Yeah, yeah. um, and so I think that's a but like absolutely building using VDFs to build clocks into distributed systems is something I'm really excited about and I think is going to be like a huge piece of the future of the blockchain space. Yep. It's just, it's, I think it's just mostly that like, because um, most teams are not willing to like sort of do the, you must have massively parallel hardware to verify this. Yeah. Yep. um, Everybody's, I think the, the, you know, you kind of, you see this pattern in, in, in the space in general. It's like a new cryptographic primitive, like snarks comes out. Then people, until there's like a live implementation of them, it's almost as if people don't really understand what they're for. And then sort of like once there's one live implementation, then like a bunch of other people start experimenting around the edges. And then eventually you start seeing like the full maturation of the space. And I think we're finally seeing like, you know, five years after Zcash launched, um, like more of the potential of what Snarks could do and like what we talked about back in 2014, 2015 starting to be realized. I think the same thing will happen with VDFs. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. like once they're once Solana is live, once Chia is live, once the Ethereum 2.0 VDF, it's not like VDFs will be over. That will actually just be the beginning of all of the crazy experimentation that will take place. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to that. Um, that. That would be cool. I mean, from our perspective, like we don't want to do that kind of research, so we want to see like folks build an RSA based one that actually works, and then yeah. we can swap it out. I mean, this yeah. this, this comes down to. Uh, <laughs> Um, a lot of, so, you know, when, so, you know, I helped start the Stanford Blockchain Research Center um, and helped, like, organize all those projects that funded it. And back in that, you know, back in 2017, it was, it was still, like, a lot of these research directions, I felt like I was the only person who was interested in them. And I was, like, real worried. I was like, am I just going to have to do all of this myself? Uh, like I don't have time to like in parallel work on like VDFs and snarks and snarks and like <laughs> new consensus algorithms and all that stuff. And fortunately, like a whole bunch of other people showed up. Um, and hopefully, the Stanford Blockchain Research Center was like it did help fund a bunch of this work. So great. Um, but like all these other people have showed up are are willing to work on the research and like basically I don't have to do this anymore. Like it'll all get done eventually. There, it, there's quite a few people, but it's not that many. Right, sure. like, there's only like I mean, how many cryptographers are in in crypto? How many cryptographers are there? Period. <laughs> well, there's more layer one projects than there are cryptographers. I would guess. I wouldn't go that far. There's like the whole maybe space of cryptography, like academics, industries, like, but it's like two, three thousand people. That's like for for something that is like so fundamental to society. It, it is. It is like possible to know all the cryptographers. I mean, it's gotta. <laughs> I, I imagine it's gonna change once those tools become necessary for software development. And I, I'm kind of seeing inklings of that. Like, we were banging our head against the wall trying to like get rid of Merkle trees. Uh huh. And, and tried RSA accumulators, and I didn't understand them at first. But then I kind of realized, oh wait, this is almost like building a data structure with prime numbers. Yes. And like once I saw that, I kind of started to understand like, okay, this is where the space is going. And it's really, really, the possibilities are like endless, right? You can do really crazy cool stuff, but we don't need it yet. <laughs> you don't need it yet. Um, hope like a big part of this stuff is like, so like in, I believe it's 1995, 
Dan Bonet figured out a, a distributed algorithm for generating an RSA, like an RSA prime, like composite prime, where no one knew the, but like no one had ever implemented it. Um, and like the Ethereum 2.0 project and like the, the uh, I forget what this VD, whatever the VDF group is called, are like the, and the Interchain Foundation helped fund some of it, is like the first time and like literally the first time anyone has ever run Bonet Franklin with like more than 100 participants was at VDF Day at Stanford. That was like the first time in... in did, it, did it work? It generated the prime, the zero-knowledge proof generation to verify that no one had, like, uh, that, like, no one was malicious, failed. Hmm. I mean, it, it generated a semi-prime, right? Like a a semi-prime, okay. yeah. It, did they publish it? Uh, no. Oh, so I mean, it was on everyone's laptop. So you can't use it? <laughs> well, the problem was is you can't prove but that it was correct. Roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, but hopefully that software will work yeah. soon. But like that's, I mean, I think that's, you know, we've had the, um, we've had these ideas about RSA accumulators and uh, Benedict and Ben, uh, Benedict Buns and Ben Fish, like came up with all these cool performance improvements and that work has even improved, been improved further by other researchers. But like, we have this fundamental problem. Where do you get a modulus from? Yeah. Um, and no, and I think that has been a blocker on putting things into production. And it's great that like one of the great public goods that the Ethereum Foundation and Protocol Labs and the Interchain Foundation have funded billing is actually implementing the distributed system that creates. But, but the thing is, the money. funny thing is, we only need one of these. Like, this is also true. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all like investing and like coordinating all these humans and building the software to generate one number. Yes. One, one 2000 bit, 2048 bit number. Yeah, right? one number. <laughs> and if that number is, is built, is generated in a sufficiently credible way, you don't need to build another number like that until quantum computers get a whole hell of a lot better. Isn't that funny? Uh, so <laughs> I've like, um, I, you know, like uh, IOTA is like the perfect blockchain right? because it's always consistent and yeah. always available. It cannot, cannot be partitioned ever. It's great. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, everybody was like shitting in their coordinator, but I was, it, it kind of got my brain thinking like, okay, what is like a minimum centralized piece that we could build that's like observably can't mess with you, right? But can like make a hell of a lot of problems easier. Like if we had like five nodes running Tendermint and they just had an RSA, RSA accumulator, can you just do that and like run it as a public service for like pennies? And Oh, and just like commits to arbitrary state yeah just to the sarasa accumulator and then build this whole consensus like make it way hella oh, absolutely and, like build it on top of that and you have a million blockchains and they just use this thing as like am i in the in the well, accumulator like, or not? well this is an interest this is an interesting question okay this is a, this is an interesting design question which is what is the hard problem in blockchains is the hard problem in blockchains consensus like a fast consensus or is the hard problem in blockchain's data availability? Yep. Um, well, yeah. If, any, if you've ever tried building a blockchain, data availability is like the problem you're going to bang your head against the wall for, for, for the rest of your life, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is, this, this, is the, this is the, like, well, not, not, not to, like, um, as a vanity metric, Solana has the has the has the sort of best TPS. Yep. Um, but it is ultimately something of a vanity metric because yes, there's like this like RSA accumulator chain that could exist that has like functionally infinite TPS, exactly. but like no data availability. Yep. Yep. Exactly. But if we had that piece, right? Like we could we could run it as a public good at almost no cost. Right. Yeah. You don't need economics around it because it's so that simple. It's trivially verifiable. And like, can you replace like billions of dollars? Well, I don't know if it's billions right now, but like definitely tens of millions of dollars of R&D that everyone's working on building all of these consensus mechanisms. What, what I'm f one of the things that I'm sort of excited generally about is I think that so like I don't think that like the next five years of blockchain looks 
as much looks like the last three years of blockchain where like you have these like very intensely focused and motivated R&D teams shipping like complicated layer ones that they built from scratch. Um, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot more like remixing of the existing pieces, probably for a lot less money and, and like trying to find like where are the optimal places and the, the design space because yeah, it was a real pain in the ass building consensus engines and networking and everything from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, all you could have done is raised a bunch of money and then waited and just said, hey, look, we'll just wait for two years and then we'll use whatever the best thing is out there. <laughs> uh, I, 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 wasn't that the kin strategy, though? Yep. <laughs> it didn't really work. Uh, there was... Um, yeah, I mean, you could say that was IOTA strategy too, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too complicated to comment too deeply on IOTA in public. Um, so, like, um, what are you up to these days? Okay, so the, this, these are great. That's a great question. So, um, there was some drama le- recently. Um, I left Tendermint, uh, sort of uh, in uh, ways that are like well documented in a fairly good CoinDesk article about like sort of what's going on. Um, but one of the things that I think is so like there's there's basically like a couple of different themes of my life right now. So, um, one theme of my life is um, is governance. So like have to figure out governance, incentive alignment, how debt core dev works for Cosmos, sort of uh, uh, almost from scratch to a certain extent. Um, and so that takes up a chunk of my time. The other thing I'm super excited about is secure enclaves. Um, and there's been this enclave project that we've been incubating inside of Occlusion, um, which is sort of my uh, staking business, runs Cosmos Validator, cool. Validator and other businesses, but there's there's sort of an, uh, an, there's been this like let's build a secure enclave that is like available to all developers. We call it Armistice. So doing that. Um, so those are my two like sort of main things right now. Are, are you guys using SGX? We are not using SGX because SGX <laughs> fucking sucks. <laughs> the, why why SGX doesn't work is actually a fairly <laughs> subtle point that is um, that people don't really appreciate. The problem with SGX is all software is bucky. The problem is there's not really a way. So let's say, you know, there's a server or a laptop right in front of you and you load some software on SGX and you're like, okay, look, I like control this whole environment. I got it new out of the box, control everything. And I trust this like software that's running in SGX now. Now that as software that's running in SGX like leaves your presence and someone takes it out into the world, it's running in a data center and something like that. And then your SGX vulnerability happens. Yep. Now you have to figure out a process of updating the SGX software and to patch this vulnerability and then reestablishing trust with this. No one has the slightest idea how to do this. I mean, can't you use the Intel's whatever, like, hey, this is a real SGX, go load, go modify this code? It was just like broken yesterday. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the problem like with SGX or... With that, those approaches is that it like it's fundamentally trying to plug this thing and reuse the same CPU hardware in a like secure environment while sharing resources with the insecure environment. So as soon as you tell me like I have a secure enclave, it is this fraction of a of the performance of the other part of the system. I already know where to attack it. Yes. Just from that, just from that statement, I can kind of guess what you're doing. You're sharing L2, you're sharing the instruction cache, you're doing this thing. Well, uh, I mean, Intel has been prom like Intel especially, but like the processor industry in, for a long time was like, we have these MMUs, they can, it can, they can like isolate your memory, like you should believe in these things. And because of this, like let's consolidate everything down onto one processor. Yep. And then I remember when like Spectre and Meltdown sort of happened in the fall of 2016. Um, I'm friends with Mike Hamburg, who's a cryptographer, but also one of the people who discovered it. A bunch of cryptographers were kind of 
poking around like the same kind of thing. Like it was definitely in my friend group. Like, oh, we think something like this is happening. And then like a bunch of people built like verifiable attacks. But it was like, and it was also crazy because like in the in the fall of 2016, everybody, all of my, a bunch of my friends just like stopped using computers because they <laughs> <laughs> got paranoid. Well, they were just like, we know they're like all like you can extract anything from JavaScript right now. Yeah. And nobody wants to. <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly worried that like if you're people are planning on running these like distributed systems where the validators are running on like a desktop or like your, your home laptop, the same machine that's running your browser, the same machine that's running ad loaded JavaScript. Yeah. Right. I can literally probably find some keywords in Google and target all the Ethereum devs. Yep. <laughs> right. And load JavaScript on their system that's running the exact same. So this is why I'm building an enclave. Right. Exactly. Like, like, but this fundamentally, like what you guys are building are for like a blockchain like ours where we have like, you know, these like big validators, like big name validators. No, 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 no. We're building like a, our like target cost is like $150. Like $150 USB device. It'll work for like the ETH 2.0 use case. But it, these are dedicated machines. No, no, I think it'll work for a laptop. Oh. It, it would make me feel comfortable. Oh, so running this, is, like, this is like a USB device you plug in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you can pull the signing and can you run the consensus yeah. module inside of it? Yeah, that's where we're, that's, that's sort it. of the target. Got it. Okay. Damn. So for us, we would run a light client inside your thing, which would validate that him not going to get slashed if that you're not going to get slashed if you're okay. going to beautiful and like everything in rust bare metal beautiful so, awesome so anyways these are the thing this is the thing that I'm really uh, and when are you guys going to ship um I think we'll probably have like a dev kit in like a month or two that's awesome. And then, um, and so like someone who's like one of us could like flash firmware like for the Solana blockchain onto one of these things in like maybe a month or two, but like um, eventually we want to have like an app store and stuff like that for it. What's the latency to this thing? So it's like it's a 500 megahertz processor. So okay. like even like like pairing based signatures should be reasonably fast. Cool, amazing. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna be like one of the few people <laughs> that can tell. Is it harder to ship hardware or a blockchain, like an open public? I have, I've shipped hardware before. And I've shipped a blockchain, um, which was harder. <laughs> they were both fucking harder. Yeah. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong at the last moment, weeks before you're about to launch? <laughs> it, it, well, like, at least with a blockchain, like, if something goes wrong, you don't have to, like, go to, like, a machine shop or anything. Yeah, like, get it yeah. Fixed. Yep. There's no, like, reflow. <laughs> yep. But you may have, like, a container worth, like, that you put all your money in that, of just junk that arrived, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. That yeah. happens. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, man. I like hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like, I think that's, like, why I keep working on this problem is because, mm -hmm. like, because it's hard, you feel like you can push it, you know, you can push yourself and, like, learn something, right? Like... Um, you mentioned that you're working on this, trying to boot like a, a bootstrap, like a developer ecosystem, right? For Cosmos. from Spotify. Well, it's like mostly like, so, you know, up until launch, almost everyone who worked on, so up until launch, everyone who worked on like Cosmos Core Dev worked for one company called All In Bits. Um, and then... What happened was a lot of people who, who, so then what happened over like after launch is a number of people who've been working on core dev stayed in the ecosystem of left all in bits, but they weren't really working on core dev and core dev was still one company. Now core dev was also extremely understaffed once again. Uh, and that was a problem. Um, but there was also this like, sort of open question for a lot of people. It was like, okay, we have a decentralized protocol. People care about it. Billions of dollars live on top of Cosmos and Tendermint. Like, what is the rational reason why everybody who works on Core Dev here has to work at one company? Uh, and it was mostly convenience 
because we're now experiencing all the pain of trying to make that not true. Um, but, you know, there's now like at least, I was counting this morning, at least eight entities that are like intentional, that have like intent to like contribute to like core dev of IBC, core dev, like game of zones, um, Tendermint core dev, IBC, uh, Cosmos SDK core dev. Like this number of entities is just mushroomed. Um, and like hopefully we'll continue to mushroom. But the downsides of this are right now there's like one dominant funding source, which is the Interchain Foundation, which um, sort of collected the original Cosmos fundraiser, funded the dev work at AIB, um, all of that stuff. And that's, you know, up and running and funding the ecosystem. But there's also an on-chain treasury, which we have literally only made one since that launched, like, I think it was like December 8th or December 13th or something like that. Um, the the on-chain treasury we launched, like, has made one payment, and that was to pay someone to set up a, a, a working group of how to use the on-chain treasury. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the on-chain treasury? Like, there's a pool of atoms that are effectively in a multi-sig that is controlled by token holder voting. So, uh, every, so like, majority of all token holders can vote to distribute these token, like the tokens that are in this pool to anyone. When did you guys have time to build all this stuff? It's, that, like, <laughs> you're building a blockchain, building that is itself like a huge project that you don't want to, like, if you screw it up, so many things could go wrong, right? I, all I would say is, so one is, it's been pretty impressive, and I cannot take credit for this, the credit goes to the team, like how passionate the people who work on Cosmos have been and like amidst literally six months of just chaos that has just like, <laughs> that has escalated over and over again. We have kept shipping software, like people have kept working on it. Like they love this project. Um, was this chaos before or after the launch? This was all after. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Like the, I, I was, I was just sort of mentioning this before we get started, like, I think a lot of blockchain projects are actually going to realize that launching, so launching is hard. It's so hard. It's like the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, you know, tw like the year we launched, I think I gained like 20 pounds. Like it was a mess. Um, yeah, same. It was like, you know. <laughs> we better launch because I already gained the 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's slowly, uh, uh, it was like really, really hard to launch. But it is, um, if you launch and you succeed, and you know, I think by any reasonable metric, Cosmos has succeeded, um, it, it, at least in the short term, the, because people care about the system, which is your metric, like people actually care. Um, you build a thing, people care about it, people are willing to invest time and energy into it, which is amazing. But once you get there, like, we don't really have a good sense of how to, how, like, conventional organizational structures that like give people health insurance co connect to yeah. these weird new decentralized animals. And I wouldn't say that like we have really any success stories to point to about how this has worked well. Yeah. I mean, like I was hoping for, like I disagree with, with Bernie and so many things, but if we had healthcare, then we don't need the company. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and then we could be totally is, decentralized. This is right? a like, thing just, that I don't think people will really appreciate about universal healthcare. It's like, yeah. if you had everything else about doing business in America, which is still a pretty convenient environment. It's not New Zealand or Estonia, but it's still pretty good. Um, like, and you had healthcare and you had the talent and that exists in the United States. Like, there were so much innovation would be unlocked. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the reasons people like, you know, I was as soon as I graduated, I was too old to be on my parents' health care plan. Right. And I'm like, I better go get a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's like how many people make that decision versus going out and trying to start their own company. Yeah. So I think we're really experiencing this question. I think other parts of it that are complicated is is it's like, you know, engineers don't want to deal with, like, politics. And, like, the foundation is somewhat political. The on-chain governance is definitely political. So I think we need to find a way to, like, pay someone whose job it is just to deal with, like, 
staying on top of all of these sort of organizational politics. Um, yeah. Uh, and like sort of help route people to funding sources and stuff like that. Um, and that, so that's kind of, that is the, the governance piece that I've been per- particularly excited about. Um, you know, I think you can, you can talk a lot about how hard it has been to get a for-profit company to align the incentives of core, de- core developers with a for-profit company that holds a bunch of tokens on its balance sheet. It's been like, a, that's a hard, that's been like a really hard problem to solve. Um, also, you, you think that's easier with a foundation? Because a foundation is like, I guess it is nonprofit, right? So it's got different incentives. It, it's at least like aligned to something. It's, there's, there's some better pieces of the foundation, which is um, the foundation really has no other role other than to, um, uh, to divvy up capital. But the foundation also doesn't really, has like this sort of weird implicit incentive to increase the value of the token, but not really explicitly. Like there's no, like none of the people in the leadership of the foundation are gonna be like, oh, the token price, you know, tripled and now I'm three times richer. Right. Um, And so a little bit of the structure that I'm hoping for is something that can sort of start capturing some of those incentives because those are the incentives of the token holders. The incentives of the token holders are, are like, fun work to make number go up (laughs) Um, and you know I think in general we should figure out ways of having structures that can like but like if you kind of think about there's like there's this role which is managing politics and like operational or overhead of this there's also this role which is core development and I think one of the big one of the other sort of big downsides is there's this whole question of I want the core devs to like get all the credit they should get the credit for their work Shouldn't yeah, be, for sure. It shouldn't be me getting the credit yeah. for their work. Like, you know, um, like, you know, the Alex and and Jack and, you know, Fede and um, so many other people, Aditya, like, they've all done all the work this year. Like, it's not me. Like, I just mostly just, like, tried to protect them from drama for a long time and then failed to do that and then tried to clean up the mess that the drama made. How do you, like... How do you think that there's like this, uh, I don't know, if you, I'm sure you've seen what Zcash did, right? And uh, BCH also had like this curtail. Yeah. <laughs> like, are, are those reasonable approaches? Like, So I think they're reasonable approaches. What I don't like about the ZK, Zcash approach, which I was very involved in like constructing the Zcash <laughs> approach. And the Zcash approach was like this weird, like... Well, A, they have a bunch of technical constraints that we don't have, which is like the technical constraints of being a Bitcoin fork. Yeah. Which is like, um, you know, if you're a Bitcoin fork, you have designing an right. on-chain token, you know, holder thing is super hard. But yeah. like we have this code base that like was designed to be modular like this and add these new features. So it's actually not as much of a lift um, to build a system like this. Um, so... The, one, well, the thing that I don't like about the Zcash structure is, is that like at least 60% of the funds that are going to be driven out are like two, two static entities. Hmm. Um, yeah. And the token holders don't really have any place, way to replacing those entities. They don't have any real accountability from those entities. There's just this like vague promise that both of these entities will do good work in exchange for the funding that they're going to get from, you know, the the, the next protocol upgrade. Um, I don't, um, it's not ideal, um, but it's probably good enough. Um, but yeah, I think it, 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 well, so far, like right now it answers the question, why should someone work for either the Zcash Foundation or the electric coin company? Well, it's, the best way to get paid to work on Zcash. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you, uh, you know, they have this new component and it'll mix that up a little bit, which is, you know, 40% of the funding is flowing to this like major grants committee, which is going to start imposing some of the dynamics that we saw over the last year at Cosmos, which was, okay, like, should I work at All In Bits to work on, on Zcash or should I apply to the major grants committee? It's tough to like be a full-time engineer with a family and kids and work on grants, though. Like, that—that's like such a hard. 
hard thing, right? So like, this is why I think that grants are probably going to go at the company level. Like, yeah. why? This is why I, what I'm imagining for Cosmos is like a level of collective bargaining. Like, there's like one is the level of collective bargaining uh, with like the various funding sources to be like, okay, like we are expecting to get this much money this year or like this quarter for a variety of different things. Then there's the fact that like it will be natural for people to like organize into companies. I don't imagine everyone like, individually is either a member of the of the joint venture or like this whole current situation where like every where lots of entities are individually sort of applying to the ICF is a mess. Um, and so I want to, so I imagine that, but like, I don't think that people should expect to have 10 year careers contributing to a blockchain protocol. Like, I think like the, the life cycle of a blockchain engineer should be like two to four years and like make a name for yourself and then yeah. go do something else. Um, yes. That's interesting. I mean, like, what's cool is if they, like, get a job somewhere that'll let them work on an open source project in their free time, then you effectively have this, like, pool of engineers that are kind of, like, keeping things going, right? And that, Yeah, and you keep bringing in the new 20-year-olds, yeah. and the, you know, the 22-year-olds keep cycling in. You know, the, the average age of the engineers who built Cosmos was, like, 24. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of kids. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, do you know, like, uh, so I've been observing the space, you know, like we're, we're trying to build this and I've been observing this like kind of tug of war between decentralization and just people coming into little groups. Like, I think validators, like, and I'm, I'm worried that like people that are designing systems will expect like thousands of validators where like everyone's running these nodes are not understanding the fact that there's only like, I don't know, 150 of them that are credible right now. That people like, yeah, it's like, you have to care about this to some yeah. extent. Yeah, and, and most of them are like kind of forming into little groups, right? And like, yeah. and So I think what, one of the things that I think is sort of exciting a little bit about this like current governance um, challenge that Cosmos is having is like, I hope that like validators sort of start positioning themselves within this ecosystem and like validators become more like political parties in the system <laughs> and less like uh just sort of like um mindlessly following either what like all in bits or because like right now um there are very few validators that are sort of competing with the core devs or competing with like the founding organization for any sort of power or control inside of an organization. And if that's the case, then like, why is this distributed to begin with? Like, it's not really <laughs> like you've just had these like sort of like, you know, so one of the things that I think is kind of the risk, but also the benefit of this current situation is like, there's like a certain amount of learned helplessness that like is happening in the validator ecosystem where it's like, okay, like my job is just to like download the software that these people made and like run it for them. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that like this sort of vacuum that has emerged in the um, in the in the in the Cosmos ecosystem, um, like, creates more opportunities for validators to be sort of in conflict with each other. You want them to be in conflict. I want them to be in conflict. At, at least on how the money should be spent. And how the money should spend, what direction the protocol should be going, what should be more important, what how should we market the system? Like like I think well well any token holder can really play this role. I mean, I think I do think the validators, you know, um, have their names out there and I I think they'll start realizing that there's money in it for them to like take a position. Is there a Joe Lubin yet of like Cosmos? Somebody that's like, I'm gonna make a huge company out of this. Um, no, because like we decentralize the token supply more effectively than that. <laughs> I mean, all in bits, I think it was, you know, was, was kind of intended to be the, you know, consensus of Cosmos. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. Interesting. And, and it was, my, it was my intent at, you know, when I was working there to build the consensus of Cosmos, like consensus with like discipline and all of these things. But, um, 
the the incentives are are are, are also it's like why if you want to work on Ethereum do you work for Joe Lubin? Yeah, I don't know. Like I mean you 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 can work for the Ethereum Foundation. You can work or, for the EF. You can work for Parity kind of. You can work for Parity, not anymore, but you could for a while. You can work for other companies. You can get big you can start a startup company and have big ETH holders invest in you. Um, you know, at maturity, these things do become a little bit more like it becomes a little less obvious even if you have like a 800 800 pound gorilla um now, what we haven't yet seen is a like a super agile, like eight hundred pound gorilla for a protocol. I think all of the like super well endowed by their tokens companies are somewhat lethargic. I think they like looked at like the Gardner research and said we're going to build each one of these things that they think enterprises will use blockchain for, and all of them failed basically, as from what I can tell. Yeah, I mean, they're trying it again. They have this new baseline protocol stuff. I don't, I, I'm trying, I don't, you know, what I would say is, is you've seen companies like, um, you know, like in conventional startup world, there are companies that are just like profoundly effective at deploying capital. Even yeah. like, you know, the big ones, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, et cetera, are like very effective in the way that they deploy capital. We have not seen that in the blockchain space. And I, 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 I would wonder, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why it's really hard to build one. And I might, I'm a, like, a, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said, I want to try and build like a, you know, the effective capital deployment thing inside of the blockchain space. But now I'm not actually as excited about that. I'm not sure it's possible yet. Like, I, I think there's just not enough like revenue opportunities besides like, Launching the protocol. Yeah, itself. yeah, and like I think we need, we just need more humans that care about this stuff. Like actually have a key, right? What, yeah. What do you What do you use for like key storage? Ledgers. Yeah. Okay. But I'm building my own. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, we, we need like more humans that understand that they need a ledger, right? And yeah. go find one and use it, and then be like, okay. No, no, an is, armistice, not a ledger. Okay. Armistice. <laughs> I will definitely use an armistice when it's out. I mean, that's cool. Um, but I, I like I love ledgers. Um, I when when they were putting together their Series A, um, I was like I went to their I told their investors I'm like if you believe in cryptocurrency, somebody has people need some way of managing keys. This is the most credible thing we've seen so far. Like it's a good thing to exist. Awesome. Yeah, we're we're like um, um, Greg, our CTO, just like build out the ledger app for us. It, I'm sorry, it, though. It, it uses this, like, yeah, it, it, like, took me back to Qualcomm because it uses this, like, busted, it's not busted. It, it's like a, a crappy sysroot all in C with its own, like, tool chain. It's like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> our, our goal is, that, so, uh, uh, Armistice builds in Rust 1.42 when they get stable, which is soon. Should be stable in a couple months. So you'll be able to build. No STD, right? No standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that that still doesn't like libc, right? Or does it? It doesn't lit. Okay. Yeah, that that's like there's dragons in libc. There are dragons <laughs> in libc. Yeah, I but like in general like, you know, Ferris who we've been working with um, has been doing such amazing work on like making like no stood uh no standard library rust like better to use. So Right. I mean like we are our, our tool chain, we can actually use, I think, standard libraries now with BPF, so that took some work. But initially, we, we had no, no STD. Rest. I think we'll eventually have Core, um, which is, yeah. Yeah, Core. Core, cool. core yeah. They've been cleaning up uh, cleaning it up a bit, too. Yeah. With every release, gets a little bit better. It's cool. Like So to me, like Rust is like the perfect open source community and project. They seem to have like somehow magically... Well, I mean, a lot of Rust core people, like, so Rust has, like, so Rust is, like, a not-for-profit with no token yep. that experienced, like, startup-like growth. Almost everyone who is in Rust core for the last five years right now is, like, burnt out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, the, the human coal of, like, the success of Rust um, has been pretty, has been pretty brutal. Um, I suspect you're going to start... 
um, seeing like a bigger company starting to take more like of a stewardship role in Rust just because like the foundation, like, well, Mozilla and there's been talk about making a Rust foundation and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, they're having, Rust is also struggling with all kinds of governance problems and scaling problems just because like now like tens of thousands of people care. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that's like <laughs> the scaling problems are good problems to have. They're right? good yeah. problems to have, and like I think Rust clearly has product market fit. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, it was real. It was really interesting. It was like as much as I love Rust, you know, I I de- really defended the decision to launch co- to like build the original version of of, of Cosmos and Go uh, just because it was a more mature system. Uh, still think that was probably the right decision, but like. Clearly, I think we're going to see something um, in the Rust space that kind of um, outperforms the, that is like a real good competitor to the Cosmos SDK. You guys are working on IBC, right? And yep. there's a, a Rust client that's being built as there well. There is a Rust client for IBC that is being built. Um, how, so, far, how far along is IBC? Um, IBC is in the debugging phase. Nice. And mostly the, um, like mostly we're debugging Merkle proofs and... Uh, arguing about the dot proto file for IBC packets, huh. um, so it's like kind of it's it's definitely in the last stages of being done. It's just like everyone has been super distracted. Um, I've been very distracted with Armistice stuff this week. Um, people have been going on vac- like everybody also kind of like was like you know this Tenderman stuff was exhausting. Let's go all take a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when did you guys take a vacation? Was it a year after launch or? Oh no, things calm down. Um, you know, there, there, there'll be a moment, you, and you'll like it when you like when you stop waking up every morning and checking to see if the network is still up. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> there was like there was a, there was a good three or four months where like I woke up every morning and I'm like, is it still sweat. making blocks? It's... Yeah, number go up. Okay. <laughs> In cold sweats, man. <laughs> but now I'm just like and like and there's no reason it could stop at any time, but like it's it made blocks yesterday, it made blocks the day before that. It's probably make blocks tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is like the cool thing is like you get like kind of this probabilistic thing like okay it's been working for a year, right? By all measures, it should continue working for probably at least half a year more, yeah. right? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it does work. But the so, IBC stuff, I mean, the IBC stuff has really come along nicely. Um, there are are some pretty there. There are a number of other teams who are implementing. Um, versions of it for for things other than the Cosmos SDK. It'll be very exciting to implement it for Solana. Yeah, well, as soon as we have time. In fact, like the folks at Chorus One are like, I think, itching to do it, to start on it. But like yeah. right now we're... There are, I don't, Chorus One is also sort of making some other IBC clients. So yeah, it's like pretty well specified. Having the Tendermint white client in Rust will make life a lot easier for a lot of people. Um, we need to we need to write a Solana. Is there a Solana white client? You can build one. We haven't built one yet. Okay, but yeah, you could you could do it. The the, the light kinds are hard, man. We, yeah, we, we, it was like a year. So yeah, like we don't have inclusion proofs that are signed. So you have to issue a transaction and like ask the state, "Hey, is this the state?" And you can do a transaction inclusion proof. Yeah, and then then you kind of like so it's kind of like because as a as a as an engineer having to have global broadcast on reads sounds insane, but okay. the yeah just having to evaluate the entire state effectively like on every vote is just such a like it puts limits on how big that state can get and how like how fast you can issue blocks Uh, it's a hard problem to solve that's why we, we banged our head against rsa accumulators and tried this super hacky thing using an xor accumulator that was totally busted yeah so but that's like, you know, progress, right? Yeah. Do you like, um, I guess, when, when do you guys think you'll actually start the, I, I, I forgot the name of it. The Game of Zones? Game of Zones. So there's a couple of things that are missing. Um, so there's like this, so there's this weird paradox, I think, that within, within um, IBC. So like the spec work of IBC is very not focused on this like relayer role. So like, so, but like, 
blockchains don't actually communicate with each other. Yeah, they like don't. someone has to run a thing that like downloads the data, generates the proofs, puts a transaction on the other blockchains, and the blockchain communicates with each other. Like blockchains don't do anything itself. And so we have been writing an MVP relayer. We have been writing the blockchain pieces of it. We're trying to get all of these pieces now fully debugged. Is the relayer that um, we're writing good enough that anybody is going to be ready to use it for Game of Zones? It represents like a really interesting question. So, but relayer is like kind of like it doesn't even have to be secure, right? No, it doesn't have to be passing secure. proofs around. Yeah, the worst thing that it can do is die. Die. <laughs> like it, yeah. it can't it can't really like lose anyone's money or anything. It's like minimally trusted, but like so I do want so like I think like the phases are basically like we get through this debugging phase that we're in right now, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Uh Jack just got back from vacation, that'll help. Yeah, so as as like this whole thing and then there's everybody's gonna be trapped inside because of coronavirus anyway, so we're gonna have nothing else to do other than ship IBC. Yep. Um, That's like a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're all going to be trapped indoors. Hopefully we'll have all of this, like more of the funding for these new entities. So everybody like nobody's like really worried about how they're going to eat, even though how you get groceries in coronavirus, no one knows. Anyway, the world is just getting worse. The climate's killing us. We're the viruses are killing us. Coronavirus is going to be like, I think, real bad for about like a month, month and a half. And then I'll be, yeah. I'll be fine. But anyways, and then uh, so so Jack, so we'll we'll finish the relay. We'll finish debugging all this stuff. The whole thing will work end to end. And then we're what we want is mostly just like to kind of get developer feedback from the community because we need more people to actually like try this out and be like, oh, like I because you want to make it so, like the hardest part of this stuff is always like. Like introspection, so you can debug when something went wrong. Yep. Like, why did this thing fail? Um, and like, when do we have enough of that? Once we kind of feel good about that, we can do game of zones. Yeah, that's like, oh man, I had this observation as an engineer, kind of mid in my career, that like, you you only use a debugger really in the first parts of your career because you're kind of working on the easy problems. But then as soon as you get to like either an embedded system and all you have is an LED light or a large networking like distributed system you like collecting logs right and using printouts right yeah it's like <laughs> what, what the hell just happened here right? you, you don't have this like nice debugger we have every register every variable and like this is the step-by-step what yeah happened. introspection across three processes yeah for like failed states for like packets and stuff like that i think is going to be like the one of the like the nastier problems for ibc um you know, any sort of tracing, like how we're going to have, and like this hasn't even like gotten to the point of like how are block explorers and stuff like that yeah. going to like have any sort of visibility and introspection on the live system between like what happened. Like, you know, how do you, how does a block explorer even show like a token moving between two blockchains in the future? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, oh, so what are the economics for a relayer? Like, what if it's down? Is that channel dead? No, there's no... So the relayer is fully untrusted by a given channel. So, like, anyone can come in and relay that packet. Okay. This has... This poses... Like, so what we have... What we did on purpose is we decided to leave economics out completely. Smart. <laughs> That's and a our, rabbit hole. <laughs> our thesis is, is, at least for initially... If you have two blockchains, it should be in the interest, like, especially if you have a blockchain, like, connected to the Cosmos Hub, it's probably in the interest of one or more of the validators on the connected blockchain to, like, run a relayer and just, like, listen for relaying events and relay them. Um, And because, like, they're validating on this other chain for some reason, they probably have some economic incentive to, like, make that chain do something, connect, like, connect to something useful. In the long run, we're there's probably eventually going to have to be like an economic model for running a relayer, but don't know what it is. Don't want to design it. If we started designing it, we probably we would never ship IBC. So we're going <laughs> to ship without economics and then leave it to the to the future IBC oh, contributors yeah. to like figure out what the economic model that should yep. be. Yeah, I've gotten like pretty brutal about to what we need and what we don't like all the stuff. Probably we need it five years from now when when there are economic attack vectors. Yeah, um, there's still a bunch of work on like 
how fees work in an inter, in a multi-chain environment that like honestly I haven't really seen yeah so, that's a tough like, one too I've also asked the I've also asked the 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 e2.0 people it's like how do fees work in like multi-execution environments like how do you have a universal notion of money like how do you have like how do you so what does eth call multi-execution environment so like basically what eth calls their multi-execution environment is like that like what what eth is imagining is what eth2 is currently imagining is on any given shard like transactions can be labeled to be executed by different vms and there's like separate states but not but okay so if i run a validator on some shard i only execute part of the state of the shard and i trust that some other i'm that, unclear on this that would be insane. maybe you don't like like so i think the plan is that like all validators have all execution environments on their machine and then they that's and they okay. execute everything that's on the shard but they're executing multiple vms yeah i mean like so that, that 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 makes sense but it's like it's still it's like if you have one vm you have like one gas price, like ETH comes in one way, purchases gas, pays the the people involved. So we have multiple VMs because yes. we have like a very dumb memory model and a very dumb bytecode. So you yes. can compile whatever interpreter you want into this. So imagine how else would they design this? If not well, how do you way? pay? How, how do you pay for execution across multiple VMs? Per well, per bytecode instruction, and then per memory load and store. Yeah. So VM is abstracted, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think the only thing I'm not sure that like there's like a common store or a common bytecode in. I mean, isn't it all Wasm? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you you don't have time to keep track of two of two blockchains. Uh, it was only two. I could probably keep track of them. Now it's like, like there. I remember the point. Like maybe it was only like a year or year and a half a year ago that there was like more that like the number of open source technically interesting blockchains exceeded my ability to like keep up with like what's going on. Are you guys keeping up keeping up with Polkadot at all? Just because they're kind of like in this multi-chain thing too. Um, I'm, we're keeping an eye on it. Um, I honestly like. I don't. You know, Polkadot right now looks more like a Cosmos chain written in Rust than uh, uh, the like Polkadot vision of like sharding and uh, parachains and parathreads and all these things. Um, so like. At least what you know seems like it's within the next year is there's just like a weird cosmos chain and like it's just substrate with tenderment right <laughs> yeah um but grandpa is sufficiently tenderment like and uh, hopefully we'll get a white client for grandpa soon and we can connect them to ibc network and people can spin up but you know like one of the really cool things that sunny did was uh actually um like his fork of the straight edge or the edgeware distribution, straight edge, runs on the Cosmos SDK. So oh, he cool. implement so the chain safe people implemented um, the like uh, so I, like again how convoluted is all this? I was part of the original team group of people uh, the who invented uh, the Ristretto cryptographic group. And then um, the Web3 Foundation created a signature scheme on top of that cryptographic group, and that's what the Edgeware keys are. Um, and uh, we didn't have one in Go, um, but then another one of my friends, another group of my friends, George, who's at uh, um, the Zcash Foundation, um, implemented Restredo in Go, which then the Chainsafe team used to implement the signature scheme from the Web3 Foundation had in Go. And then we pulled that into the Cosmos SDK. And now <laughs> you can have like forks of substrate chains into Cosmos SDK chains. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can take, take account balances yeah. from substrate yeah. chains and put them into Cosmos SDK chains. So Tony did that for, for Straight Edge. That's funny. It used to be called a soft spoon, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, you guys came up with the soft spoon. Yeah, and so Sunny did the first one. (laughs) That's funny. That's awesome. Um, Cool. Well, like, I mean, I feel like we could talk for like two more hours. Yeah, probably. Cool. It's been really amazing having you here. Is there anything you want to like mention that we could publish or like 
um, like website or go to or like no I well the Cosmos governance stuff isn't going to be is who knows when like that okay. stuff is going to be live inclusion exists armistice exists um, check out our GitHub cool. we're, we're doing all kinds of cool stuff yeah I'm 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 really excited about armistice because to me like validator key security and having consensus is part of it like having being able to run a, a like I just call these custom like, authorization yeah. programs but like yeah. That's really nice. yeah that's awesome Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.